A lot of times people stand up and say they're honored to introduce somebody uh, who's going to be speaking, and uh, that would be the biggest understatement. My friend Terry Kitson is here. He's more than a friend. Uh, he has been a mentor to me. Uh, he, is, he has helped me through a lot of things. I met Terry uh, a little over 20 years ago as I, I left uh, college and began uh, my first job as a, a youth minister in Mansfield, Texas. Uh, he had already been in youth ministry in Arlington for about five years, and we won't talk about how many years prior to that he was in ministry, uh, but it's been over three decades now that he's been serving the Lord. He has an amazing heart. Uh, and if any good has come out of any ministering that I might have done, uh, I owe almost all of it to Terry Kitson. Uh, he has just been a wonderful friend. He is now uh, a, uh, a minister uh, in Topeka, Kansas. Um, he is uh, actually the, the preaching minister in Topeka, Kansas, and we have the pleasure of him being here. Uh, he took a little time off from Kansas there's no red slippers and no clicking of heels, uh, but he did come home for a little bit, uh, and he is uh, doing some uh, work on his uh, doctorate degree at ACU, and so he had a weekend off and said, you know what, I'd love to come see you, uh, and so it's been a, he's been a great blessing to us this weekend already as he's ministered to myself and my wife, and I just know... Uh, uh, he's going to be a blessing to all of you because he has an amazing heart for the Lord. So, Terry, if you'd come up here, we're we're glad to have Terry. He's away from his wife Cindy of 36 years and and two kids who are all over the place, but um, we're glad to have him here in Hobbs, New Mexico. So let's let's pray for him. Father God, I thank you for my friend Terry Kitson and the servant that he is and the way that he is uh, working in your kingdom. And Lord, you know the countless times that. Uh, Terry has counseled me and um, uh, helped me through some tough times and has, has been a rock for me. And so, Lord, I just thank you for him. Lord, I just pray that uh, he will uh, continue to be a vessel of yours uh, as he shares your word this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Doug. I think in my on on this that I get to push the right button. Great. Thank you. I am... Uh, I'm extremely honored to be with you, and I want to say good morning, Taylor Street. Uh, I am so uh, excited to be with you. I have heard about this church family for five years now, and that was one of the reasons why when I had the weekend off, uh, my daughter wasn't going to be in Dallas for me to go visit, and I said, you know what? It's time. It's time to go see if these people are really all that Doug says that they are. And so far, you haven't disappointed me. Matter of fact, I, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you this morning for ministering to Doug and Jennifer and Wyatt and Lily and Grace. In the loss of Jennifer's mom, Doug's mother-in-law, Wyatt and Lily and Grace's grandmother. Uh, I know it's been a difficult time for them and they assured me last night that you've been walking alongside of them. Let me tell you something I know about this idea of grief, and this is not, this really kind of ties into the end of my message this morning, and I think you'll see that. But you need to know a little bit about me to know why I would say these things about grief. For uh, since 2001, every holiday season, I lead folks in the church that I'm at uh, through what's called making it through the holidays. 
It's a, it's a time of education. It's a time of a support group on grief and, and making it through the holidays. That's in December, at our church, we always do what we call a day of remembrance. And remember, we remember all of those who've lost someone in the last year. And as a part of that service, I'll have, and I won't ask you to do this this morning, but I will have our group stand. And I'll, I'll say, anybody that's lost a spouse in the last year, please stand. And then I'll ask anybody that's lost a parent, a child, a sibling, and I just go down the list. I'm amazed every year that from one-third to half of our church family is dealing with grief. My guess is, if I did that exercise with you this morning, that would be true here as well. And so what I want to say about that is, there's two things that if I've learned anything, through my own grief, I lost my parents almost at the same age that Jennifer lost her mom. If there's anything I've learned from my own experience and in my academic training, it's, there's two really good things to say or to do. There's a whole list of things we probably shouldn't do in the time of grief, but as you're ministering to each other, because it's not du- just Doug and Jennifer and their family, there's others in this church family that are grieving. It just happens that Doug happens to be the one that stands in front of you each Sunday, and so he's a little bit higher profile. But I can assure you, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to guess there's other people grieving as well. And there's two things that I've learned through the years that are helpful. The first one is a knowing glance. To just look at that person, smile slightly, and nod. Now that's after you've had other conversations with them, but that's for me enough. I get that that person who's, who is coming towards me, who just nods, gets it. That I'm in the midst of grief. The other thing that is almost outdated today, but I think it's powerful, and it's cards. See, the beautiful things about a card is I can choose when I read it, so that I'm in a space and a time where I can really grieve and experience all of the emotions that I have with grief. I remember the disappointment the day that I walked to the mailbox after my dad's death. And I walked in August, he died in May May 13th, and I remember in August when I went to the mailbox and there were no more cards. That was a trigger for my grief. So anyway, just a couple of things to think about. But again, I want to say thank you for how you've taken care of my friends uh, in their time of grief. And pray that you'll continue to do that for each other. Let's talk to God in prayer. Father God, this morning may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Father, for the next few minutes, we want to take a look at one of the parables of Jesus. And as we take a look at this parable, I pray, Father, that my words will only be a 
a way of communicating your words. That when everybody leaves today, they'll remember your words and they won't remember mine. Thank you so much for Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I don't know if it was Mrs. King, Mrs. Breeden, Mrs. Foster, or Mrs. Arnold. I just named my first, my kind, my first grade through fourth grade teachers. And I don't know which one it was, but I remember vividly this, that one of those four, and I'm going to say it was Miss Foster. I apologize to the other three ladies if they were the ones that did it. But I remember vividly that they would... This, whichever teacher it was, on this, at a certain time in class, when she wanted us to kind of do some mental work, she wanted us to really tax our brain, especially like in geography, we were going to go on an imaginary trip. She'd say, okay class, it's time to put your thinking caps on. Some of you are nodding because you've experienced the same thing. And so this morning I want us to put our thinking caps on. I want us to imagine this morning. I want us to imagine that we put ourselves in the lives of someone else. This morning, if you're sitting, and I'm just going to divide this, uh, on, if you're on the north side, the right side, left side from your vantage point, that's why I'll use north. If you're on the north side, I need you to latch on to the time 6 a.m., Now, for some of you, I realize you don't know that that time exists, but it does. All right, it does exist. So I want you to latch on to the time, 6 a.m., as we put our thinking caps on. If you're on the south side of the audience, I need you to put, uh, I need you to to kind of focus in on the more agreeable time of 5 p.m. I know that Even some of the teenagers know that time because, well, I had one of our teenagers report to me not too long ago at our church that he slept until 5 p.m. But So I know that you know 5 p.m. So latch on to those two times for me this morning. I want to take you to a a place. This is not the actual place, but uh, I want you to imagine that you're with me and you're actually at a particular corner. All of you are gathered at this corner, but let me tell you about the corner. It's in Arlington, Texas. I lived there for 15 years. It's on the busiest street in Arlington, Cooper Street. And north of the mall, there is a racetrack gas station. And it kind of corners, it's not a real corner, but it's right next to it, at least when I lived there, there was a vacant lot. And a lot of times in the morning, I would drive to the hospital early in the morning, between 5 and 6 a.m. if one of our members were having a surgery. So I could go and be with them and their family. And so as I would drive by, I would see this group of men, and they'd be gathering here kind of at that corner between racetrack and that vacant lot. And, And I just thought it was kind of strange but I didn't think a lot about it. It probably took me, it takes me longer to figure things out than some people. You know what I'm saying? So, it, but as, as I drove by several times, it dawned on me one day, I looked over, and a guy in a work truck pulled up. And he rolled down his window, and he started talking to some of the folks, some of the guys that were out there. 
And as he began talking with them, I noticed that some of them hopped into his truck and it dawned on me. These are day laborers. These are day laborers. And so I want you to imagine for a minute that you're one of those day laborers. And, and I want you to imagine what it would be like for them. They're standing at this corner and they're having conversations. They're kind of shifting back and forth on their, you know, their, their weight as they're, they're kind of just standing out there. And they're conversing about politics, which they don't understand American politics real well. You might not because you don't know the language real well. You know a little bit of English. This isn't your home. You actually are working so you can support people back home. And so you're waiting. You're hoping. You're hoping somebody will choose you today. You're wondering if you get to stay in the country because of, uh, because of the language barrier. You've heard things that have come from the President of the United States. And I, by the way, let me interject. I'm not making a political statement one way or the other. I'm just trying to put us in their shoes. These day laborers that are on the corner there in Arlington. And they're asking themselves the question, what does that mean for us? From their limited knowledge of what's taking place in Washington. They're having these conversations and a gentleman in a white Chevy truck drives up i got to pause for a minute. Friday, I had lunch with the head of my department at, Ace, at ACU. I'm borrowing while I'm in Abilene, at least when I'm in town, borrowing an old white work truck. I said, hey, I'll pick you up. I'll be in the old white work truck. I pull up outside the Bible building. You know how many other white work trucks were in the, in the circle? There were three others. But in this occasion, there's only one. There's one white truck that drives up to where you all are gathered on that corner. And those of you that are on the north side, the gentleman kind of calls you over. And you walk over to the truck and you begin to negotiate with him. And he seems to be very generous. Matter of fact, he starts the negotiation at a day's salary that you haven't heard anybody else get but you kind of barter back and forth for a minute, and then he offers you something that seems very agreeable. So you hop in his truck. And you head to a site. The site that you go to is building, oh, let's say it's an office building, two-story office building somewhere in central Arlington. And so you go to work, and while you're working, about 9 o'clock, here comes another truck, or the same truck, same contractor, and he brings another load of guys. And they get out, they begin working. Well, that's his business. They probably negotiated for something less. Noon, he comes back, he's got another load. Three o'clock, he comes back again. Oh, by the way, what time is it I asked you to think about? Five o'clock. It's five o'clock now, and you've been standing at that same corner that they left from. And you're going, why are we still here? I mean, it's been all day, and nobody has, nobody's come to offer us a job. 
But part of it is, you're hoping for a word we don't often use. You're hoping for maybe a miracle. Maybe somebody will come in that last hour. Maybe somebody will come and offer you a job through the evening. Most of all, if you've got family here, you don't want to go home and tell them you can't eat today. So as you're getting really discouraged, it's 5 p.m. And the white truck comes back with the general contractor. And when it comes back, he says, why are you still standing here? You say, well, you haven't offered us a job. Nobody's offered us a job. Hop in. And he takes you over to where these folks are working. And you see these folks who you saw this morning, you haven't seen all day, and they show up a little after five. About six o'clock, the whistle blows. You know what you agreed to. Remember, you bartered with him. You bartered for a very good price for a day's labor. By the way, you didn't barter. You didn't care. You just trusted. You just trusted that this general contractor would be worthy. That that he would be truthful because he said, just trust me. And so, the foreman lines everybody up. And you might think he would start with you all because you're the tiredest. You've been working all day. But no, he starts with the five o'clock. So they line up, and it's the so we've got the five, and we've got the, the three, and we've got the noon, and we've got the nine, and then we have you all. The six o'clock. Foreman begins to pay, and you're kind of at the back, those of you from six o'clock. You're looking forward and you're saying, wait a minute. He paid those folks what we agreed to. You're thinking the miracle happened. You're thinking, well, what are you thinking? This isn't right. This isn't fair. And so after he pays everybody else what you agreed to, and you come up, you're thinking, well, I bet you I'm getting a bonus. And he hands you the same amount of money. It's not fair. And so you go and you talk. You go and you visit with the, with the foreman. Not the foreman, you go with the general contractor. This just isn't fair. He says, isn't it what you agreed to? Isn't it what you agreed to? By the way, that's a valuable message. This isn't a part of the sermon, but that's a valuable message for us who are working, who are employees, who sometimes we, get, we squawk about what other people get. If I agreed to work for that, I need to be happy. I need to be content. Unless there's some way to negotiate something different. And so, we've got one group who's 
trusted. They didn't negotiate, they just trusted. We've got another group that negotiated, and they're frustrated. Here's the message that I want us to get, and I think we have another slide for this. This is the message I want you to walk away. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this message. God gives the same abundant grace to all Christ followers. God gives the same abundant grace to all Christ followers. Now, many of you have recognized the parable that I've taken my story from. And I do want us to take a look at the actual parable. It's entitled, The Parable of the, of the Workers in the Vineyard. And the heading in my text, or the Bible I'm reading from, it's in Matthew chapter 20. I think I've already asked you to turn there, but if I didn't, if you'll turn to Matthew 20. Actually, we're going to start in, verse, in chapter 19. I want us to get some context, because one of the struggles with the parables is, when we read the parable, sometimes uh, it's real easy... Uh, matter of fact, uh, there is a, uh, a scholar from the 6th century that I've been reading from, and he says, he calls it the allegory, or the message of the parable, comes out really easy. Well, one of the reasons it comes out easy is because we can sometimes, sometimes we can put our own spin on it. Does that make sense? And I want us to know the context of what's going on to help us understand how I got this statement from this parable. So I want us to begin in context with the, the first, in, back in chapter 19, this encounter that Jesus has. We know Him sometimes as the rich young ruler. Uh, in my heading of my Bible today, it says the rich young man. And this, this gentleman comes to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? They have this conversation back and forth. Jesus basically says, keep the law. He says, I've kept the law since I was a young man. And then Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, you know, it's interesting. We can learn a lot about what the apostles believed by what the questions they asked Jesus. And in this particular case, they begin to ask Jesus questions they begin to ask him questions, uh, beginning in verse 23. And so if you'll look at 1923 with me. So the apostles are asking some questions. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This morning we will not enter into the great debate about what is meant by the needle. I'll let Doug take care of that some other time. Okay. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? That helps us to understand some of their belief process. See, if you look in the Old Testament, it's not a far-fetched understanding of God that God blesses those who He's favored with, or He favors. I mean, you read the Old Testament, you see that. I, I think there's a certain... I, I believe that's true. But one of the reasons in the Old Testament God blesses those who He's in favor with is so that they will bless others. 
But that wasn't what the Jews picked up on. The Jews picked up on, if you're wealthy, you must be really in favor with God. And that's what they're asking. If this guy, who's obviously really wealthy, if he can't get into heaven, what chance is there for us? So the dialogue continues. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So think about this for a minute. Peter's saying, We've sacrificed it all. The rich young ruler isn't quite ready to sacrifice it all. I think Jesus loves them both. In fact, I'm convinced that Jesus loves them both. I'm not saying they're both in saved relationship. I'm saying that Jesus loves them both. Coming back now to the context of our parable. I want you to notice how Jesus ends that conversation. He talks to the apostles about the reward that they will receive for their sacrifice. Then look at verse 30. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Then go to the end of our parable, chapter 20, verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus has given us this kind of parentheses around the parable. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. We sometimes probably... Well, I don't want to go there yet. Let me come back to that. Let's let's talk for a minute about the title of the parable. If you look at your Bible, I'm going to guess that most of you have something like this. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Is that about right? Let's take a poll. Is that about right? What's somebody have different? Are you allowed to talk to me on Sunday morning? The parable of the laborers, laborers, okay? All right, so the parable of laborers. So so we see there's some different ones. Here's what I think it ought to be. And maybe it is in one of your Bibles. And if it is, come tell me afterwards because I want to know this. See that word in the text in verse 8 that is translated in the NIV, owner. It actually is the Greek word kurios, which actually could be translated master, owner, or Lord. I think this parable ought to be entitled The Parable of the Generous Lord. Now I think it's interesting in the parable, much like the story that I told, kind of based on the parable and based on a modern situation. Let's just kind of read. We won't read all of it, but I want to read parts of it. For the kingdom, verse 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed, he agreed, there was negotiation, okay, like there were with you all. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. But now I want you to notice something different. About the third hour, nine o'clock, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard, and I 
will pay you whatever is right. No negotiation. And then you keep reading, he went out again about the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and did the same thing. He didn't negotiate. He just said, trust me. Negotiated with the 6 a.m. folks, but everybody else he said, trust me. Trust me. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and received a denarius. Now it's interesting that I thought for the longest time that a denarius was a day's wage. And it was for a Roman soldier. At least some reading I have most recently done uh, has, has suggested that a day's wage for a Roman soldier. There's some evidence that would indicate that if I'm a day laborer working in the fields... I could negotiate for a denarius or I might have to negotiate for less. One indicator, if that historical fact is true, Jesus is presenting this master as being generous. We already see that, but it's another illustration of His generosity. And so at 6 a.m., The 6 a.m. workers, those on the north side, they gladly agreed to the denarius because it sounded like a really good deal. The folks over here trusted the man's generosity. Trusted the man's generosity. Here's what I need us to know. God gives the same abundant grace to all Christ followers. Now, I want us to go and look at a passage of Scripture, Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. And guys, I haven't paid attention. I may have got us out of whack. If you've got to skip, yep, there we are. Great. You have kept me honest. Thank you very much. Galatians 3 says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have been clothed, have have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God gives the same abundant grace to all Christ followers to the preacher and to the prisoner, to the shepherd and to the sheep, to the man and to the woman, to the teacher and to the student, to the American and to the Sudanese, to the person who grew up in a church family and to the person who was converted from Islam. God gives the same abundant grace to all Christ followers. That causes Ephesians 4.32 to mean so much. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you.
when I remember that all of you are blessed with the same abundant grace that I've been blessed with, you've been blessed with the forgiveness that I too needed. It changes how I interact with you. It causes me to more easily forgive you. It causes me, as in another place Paul will say, to forbear with you. And for you to put up with me. Although you don't have to put up with me long. I'm leaving in a few minutes. But anyway, you get the idea. I have one challenge for the Taylor Street Church of Christ this week. One challenge. And this is what it is. I'm going to guess you're kind of like the Central Church of Christ in Topeka. You're you're just a little too large of a church. You, You kind of feel like a family. But you're just a little too large for everybody to be super intimate with everybody else. To know everybody else really well. And I'm going to guess that you're like most churches that I know and the church that I work with today is that you have a circle of friends in this church. A circle of people that you kind of hang out with. Maybe it's formal. I haven't looked close enough to know uh, about uh, what kind of uh, shepherding mechanisms the, the elders use here, small groups. Life groups, we have, so we have those. So it maybe that's a group. Here's what I want to ask you to do this week. No, I'm not asking you. God is. I, I think he's, he's directing this whole process. I want to challenge you because of the fact that God gives His grace abundant to lead all Christ followers. I want you to get out of your circle this week. I want you to find one person in this church that's not in your regular circle of friends. And I want you to, no emails and no text. I'm sorry, I know I just offended some of you, but this, is not, this exercise is not for that. But it may be to invite them for a cup of coffee. You don't drink coffee, drink tea. I, if you don't drink tea, drink Coke. I, it's not about what the activity. It's about spending some time sitting across from someone that you don't know that well, but has shares the same abundant grace from God that you do. That's the challenge I have for you as a church family this week. For you as individuals to choose to do that and go out and be among. It may be that some of you, and, and, and as soon as I say this, I, I, it's almost like, oh, am I trying to direct all the attention to Jennifer? And I'm not. I've already identified that I'm convinced 33% to half of you are grieving right now something. And some of you know about that. I don't. I just know the statistics. But you know the faces. And it may be a face that's not in your normal circle. Maybe you go and just sit with them. Remember Job's friends? It was when they just sat with Job that they had a healthy dialogue when they tried to talk. Presence, presence is so important. So anyway, that's the challenge for you. Now this morning, in just a minute, one of the shepherds, and Doug will come down front.
There may be a need you have in your life. It may be that you've not started this journey with Jesus. You've not put Him on in baptism and allowed His blood to wash your sins away and to allow His Spirit to come and dwell inside of you. Maybe that hasn't happened yet and you'd like to do that today. You've been studying or you want to study with somebody. Boy, Doug and the shepherd that down front would be glad to help you. Or, 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 or maybe, uh, maybe this morning, maybe this morning, uh, you just want the prayers of the church. And maybe this morning, you're like me, you're a guest. And, and maybe you just want to come down and talk to them about what's, what's the process here about kind of linking arms with you guys and gals. Excuse me. But whatever needs you might have, we want to encourage you to come down as we stand and sing.